0: Good morning. So is anyone fully ready for Christmas just yet? Are uh, you yeah. Is there anyone on their game enough that would be like, "Yeah, I'm ready." Yeah, this is Yes, a few of you. All right, that's very impressive. I confess that in the past there has been times when I have been woefully unprepared. For Christmas Day to arrive. Have you ever been that? Yes? Yeah. So I, I confess that there has been more than one Christmas Eve's that I have been shopping in the malls. Yes? It, it's actually quite entertaining. It's almost all men with a look of desperation on their, and, and you just know they're paying way too much money for things that their wives are really not going to appreciate at all, right? But it's, it's that last hour um, can I think of you? Can I ask you to think about the last time? I know some of you. This will be hard because you're more of the organized and planning types. But what was the last time that you were woefully unprepared for something? Can you think about that? Some of you were like this morning coming to church. But for for more of the organized, when was the last time you were you were really? Unprepared for something. I would say, uh, personally, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. When my uh, I was emotionally unprepared when my oldest Luke uh, went off to college. So I, I think in, in hindsight, you know, I was, I was focused mostly on him and getting him ready. And I was, I was focused on physical preparation. And, and yet it, the, uh, the, the struggle that I had in the, the weeks and the months following, I, I realized I didn't do enough prep work in my own heart and soul to, to really be ready for not to see him Uh, on a regular basis and and have him a part of my life. So I want to not do that with our daughters. I want to be a little bit ahead of the game in preparation. In fact, Kendra and I have agreed, we're we're ready for the girls to go now. So that... Just giving one of my daughters a little hard time. They're teenage girls. All right. Um, So... Uh, Yeah, I want you, did you notice in the, for the half of you that were here for the lighting of the Advent candle? I'm throwing a little shade your way this morning too, huh? Yeah. So for those of us that were here for the lighting of the Advent candle, um, did you notice that it was a candle of love, but it was also a candle of... No, not hope... This is a different, not one of your main themes. It was a candle of preparation. A candle of spiritual preparation. And so, part of the Advent season is that actually a big part that's often lost. Uh, in our commercialized Christmas is this idea that, again, this is the, the, the calendar year. Um, the calendar year, this is the end of the year. In the church calendar, it's the beginning of the year. And we're meant to say, hey, that we, we begin with Christ coming. We begin with the incarnation. We begin with the, the God of the universe entering time and space and humbling himself and taking on flesh and blood and entering into our darkness. And we need to be ready for that. We need to be prepared for that, to to remember. In fact, it's been said that there's really three waitings and three arrivals. One waitings is that we remember and we rema- uh, we remember that first Christmas, that, that when God entered time and space and he enters in, the second one is understood is he will come back, right? Jesus is enthroned in heaven right now, but there's a day that he'll return and come, and we need to be really prepared for that moment, right? But there's also a dynamic by his Holy Spirit when we ask him. He manifests his presence, and he enters in to our lives today and in this moment. Last week, we talked about that Disappointment sometimes that we can we cannot be shopping on Christmas Eve and we, we can do a cultural Christmas really, really well and we're prepared. But we can be unprepared spiritually. We can be unprepared for Christmas and we get to Christmas Day... And all the, the gifts are open and the food is consumed and, and we have that sense of, we, we missed it, that, that essence, that, that, that meaning, that significance of what God wants to do this Christmas, 2018. And, and, and yet we, in, in the busyness and the consumerism and even the good things, family and all of that, the, we missed it. So part of the Advent season is we light a candle in our hearts and souls of preparation. Last week we talked a little bit of the preparation of being, is that if we want to really appreciate the light of Christmas, we have to allow ourselves to go into the darkness, the lostness a little bit. And so we prayed for Universal Church and our country and our world and prayed for our own hearts and relationships where do we need Christ to enter into our relationships and, and our souls and our hearts and our relationship with him? This morning we're going to do, uh, use a, a slightly different um, construct or, or, or analogy, if you will. We're going to use an analogy. It might be a little bit harder for some of us to get our minds around. Is An, an, I, uh, an analogy of building or construction. And the reason that I am using an analogy of preparing for Christmas and really getting the the meaning of Christmas and I'm using um, this idea of construction is because it's from the scriptures that we're going to look at today. And um, does anyone be able to answer this question? Who is the one figure that is responsible, except Logan. Does anyone know (laughs) he was answering questions in prayer time? So I got to give him, uh, not let him get you guys off, all right? Who is the one person that's known for this idea of preparation? Yes, say that again. Who said that? Esam, did you say that? John the Baptist, right? So he... He was known, he is, we we looked at his birth story a little bit uh, in Zechariah and... Elizabeth, And yet he is born right around Jesus' time, and he had a ministry, and he had a calling, and it was shaped in a way of preparation and some construction. Would you uh, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be in chapter 3. Now, he actually was born around the same time that Jesus was born, and his ministry, his public ministry, is really going to begin for Jesus' public ministry when Jesus begins to speak and announce the kingdom of God and so forth. But we're going to use this idea of preparation for Christmas. I think it's valid. Okay. That, that John, in the spirit of Elijah, his role in his ministry was to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. And if we apply these words to... Um, to this morning in our hearts for this Christmas. I'm going to start in Luke chapter 3, verse... I'm going to start just a little bit before that. That's okay, you can leave that up, but start. I'm going to start at verse 2. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet quoting Isaiah these prophetic words for John's ministry a voice of one calling in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord make straight paths for him every valley shall be filled in Every mountain and hill made low, the crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all the people will see God's salvation. Powerful language from Isaiah, preparing language. And you would imagine in these powerful words that John the Baptist is going to come and he's going to start moving some earth around, right? You're going to see him maybe with a jackhammer, uh, maybe with some heavy construction equipment, right? What is he doing? Well, wherever there's a low place, he's going to fill that in with some earth. Wherever there's high, He's going to bring that low. Do we see John the Baptist with heavy construction equipment? Why not? One, it wasn't invented at the time, yes. But two, this is figurative language, right? Right? So he, So it's not talking about physically he's grabbing a jackhammer and going to work in you know on some hill in in jerusalem what's this where is the landscape that john the baptist is called to prepare look at your brother or sister sitting next to you, you go you inside of you this was john's calling in you this is he's after he's not after the, the the valleys of Jerusalem or Israel He's after your heart and soul because your heart and soul matter before God matter before Jesus that there's a chance that he could come and desire to enter in but there's been no heart work, there's been no soul work, there's no been preparatory work within you. And we're going to miss it this Christmas. I don't want to miss it this Christmas. I don't want you to miss Christ this Christmas. If I was an enemy of your soul, and I wanted you to miss it, you know what I'd do? I would commercialize Christmas. Christmas that's what I would do and I'd make it about getting gifts and presents for people and then I'd add in some like Christmas decor and Christmas letters and Christmas food and Christmas parties and I'd get you really busy so you miss Christmas let's not do that shall we? All right, I'm going to talk in this kind of language. I want to talk about language of deconstruction and reconstruction. And the reason I'm doing that is who knows that sometimes when you have a vision and a desire to construct something new and good and beautiful, sometimes you have to deconstruct what's there. Amen. Think about this Woodman Road, right? How long did they take to finish that one? Holy cow, right? Did you know that at one time they were talking about putting a ramp here on this intersection? They were going to relocate the church. Praise Jesus. We're still a light on the hill. Amen? That's our calling. That's what we're supposed to do. So, But who knows that that when they were doing this and planning this before, they didn't just build wider lanes. They didn't just build ramps on academy. What'd they have to do? They had to do some deconstruction. A lot of deconstruction. That took a long time. It was messy, right? In in John the Baptist's calling and these words in Luke 3, I see some words of deconstruction. And I want us this morning to slow down and and think about this idea, this question from a, a perspective of deconstruction. What needs to be torn down within you? What needs to be deconstructed in your soul for you to be ready to receive Christ. Look at that first line there. John the Baptist is gonna be a voice of one calling in the wilderness to make straight the pass for him. And then verse five says, every valley shall be filled in. If we we take that as figurative language and, and we look to our own soul rather than Jerusalem, let me ask you this question. In preparation to really allow Christ to enter in this Christmas season, are there areas of emptiness within your own soul that, unless they're filled, unless those deep valleys are filled you're going to miss the Christ of Christmas what are those places that you long for his renewal and blessing as we prayed about I was uh, this past week I, I had what I would call a sad day it was a sad day Started out with a couple of uh, um, interactions with people. It was just hard on my soul. It was challenging. It was sad. And then I, uh, um, I don't like email very much and I try not to check it in the evenings. Most never check it in the evenings. Darn it, I checked it one, that same evening. It was an email and it was a sad email. And it added to my sadness. And I went to sleep in sadness. And you know how much sleep I got that night? Not a lot. And so I woke up and I started to pray. Did my prayer thing. And there is a a form of prayer that isn't talked about enough. I I feel like I'm really good at it. I would call it complainy prayer. (laughs) Some of you know what I'm talking about. Others have called it whiny prayer. Yes. Is that yes? So I've really perfected this, I think, to an art form that that is just I was complaining. I, I was upset. I, you know, I, sleep is important to me, and, and I don't like being sad. And this is Christmas, and I'm and I'm complaining about these things to the Lord. And as I was in the midst of my whiny prayer. I felt like he gave me an impression. It wasn't an audible voice. I felt like it was an impression. And I felt like he said, Eric, you mold over your sadness. You you looked at it. You carried it. But you didn't give it to me. You didn't invite me into it. And I said, good point. You see, I, I think there's a, a sadness that's there. Many of us will feel it, especially during Christmas. And there's such a huge difference of just carrying it like luggage or actually inviting God to, to meet us in those places of sadness or loneliness or pain. That he is a God that wants to fill those valleys in your soul. The only question is, not whether he wants, but whether we're going to invite him into those places. The second part of verse 5 says, every mountain and hill made low. Again, if we we treat this figuratively, and we're not talking about Israel or the hills or or the plains of Israel, Jerusalem, but we look at our own soul, here's the question that this brings up for me Are there areas of pride, high places, of willfulness? Are there areas of self reliance? that need to be made low? That's a hard question for Christmas, isn't it? I think it's such an important question because in our culture, we we have this value of bootstrapping things, right? Right? when we whether it's work, whether it's relationships, even we bootstrap we, we I'll take it, I got it, I'm on it, I'll get her done right these these things' I'm, I'm focused on that's part of American culture that's part of being American, right? right I want to suggest this that we can create some pretty decent lives if we bootstrap it. We, we, we can we can establish even some some good lives if we if we go after it where we, there's an intelligence there's a thoughtfulness we go after it if we want the deeper life the meaningful life if we want the what scripture calls abundant life or or kingdom life, if we want that life, the the best life, the the life that actually Christ died for us to have, we can 't bootstrap that life it 's got to be about leaning into jesus it 's got to be about a willingness, oh gosh, I, I feel pretty self sufficient. no, he wants that more. Let me use this analogy. A lot of uh, classic book, uh, My Heart, Christ's Home, where these different rooms of your soul God is entering in. And and when I think of self-sufficiency or when I think of pride and I think I've got a room that I'm doing pretty good on, I've decorated it well, maybe it's a family room, and then Christ comes to enter into that family room and I go, you know what, Jesus? I'm doing that pretty good. I I got this one. There's some other rooms you can go to, but not that one. I've got it. I think part of the ministry of preparation is is inviting God into those areas, not just that are lowly, that need filling, but those places that we feel pretty self-reliant on, sometimes even a little prideful or arrogant. Say, God, I I don't want just a good life. I I, I want kingdom life. I want abundant life. I want your life that you have for me. Would you come into these areas? I don't want a self-reliance or pride to get in the way of Jesus fully entering in this Advent season. Staying with that analogy, probably many of you have heard of closets, right? Do we invite Jesus into all of the closets? Look at that next verse. Um, Next part of verse five. The crooked roads shall become straight. What's crooked in us? Are there barriers of sin that must be addressed, that we we need to acknowledge and repent of. You see, sin acts in our relationship with God in a very similar way that it does act with one another. Okay? If I sin against my wife, which I haven't yet of seven years of ministry... (laughs) <laughs> yes. Actually, just this weekend. No, no, no. Go. This I am, so, I, I my, my own confession I have going on, right? But so, if I sin against her, maybe I respond in anger in a hurtful way. What does that do to our relationship? It creates distance, right? because there's sin there now there's something that has become between her and I and by the way any sin when I sin not just towards my wife or anyone else that creates the distance between me and the Lord and who knows if we've got that sin there undealt with we are not going to get the essence of Christmas because that's those are barriers there. As I mentioned, that the, the, the church calendar is different than our regular chronological calendar, that Advent is not the end of the year. Advent is the beginning. beginning of the year. What would it look like to make a New Year's resolution in the season of Advent? I think some of us have these un- Confessed or undealt with, I would say, undercurrents of sin that are, are acting as a block between, uh, of intimacy between us and the Lord. What if we actually made a New Year's resolution about lust or greed or selfishness or self-sufficiency or anger or unforgiveness or fear, the lack of faith of judgment of harshness rather than the kindness of Christ. What would it look like if we said, God, I want to be prepared and I don't don't want this issue between me and you. Would you... Would you take would you forgive this? I'm going to confess it, and I'm going to repent one hundred and eighty degrees, turn, and I'm going to walk it your way, Jesus, not my way. Boy, I think we'd really enter in for Christmas, would we not? And then finally, this last in this uh, verse five, this powerful verse five. The rough ways made smooth. I heard this leader say this, really struck me. Are there barriers? Uh, go to the uh, next one, next slide. Rough ways made smooth. Are there rough edges to your personality that need to be tempered? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you need me to help you with some of that, for some of you, I can. <laughs> that really struck me, right? What are the elements of my personality that can get in the way of the Lord? We have, uh, we have what we call apprentice huddles and discipleship. About 30 folks are an apprentice, and one of the tools that we're using is called the Enneagram. It's a personality and it's looking at kind of the, we're all made in the image of God and and what's the personality style and identified that. Part of the the process is recognizing that with every personality style, there is a a, a shadow side, an undercurrent, a, a sin pattern. And part of my personal sin pattern, I'm not gonna give you the full deal, just a little thing, is, is I have a tendency to, in an unhealthy way, disconnect from the people I love, the people that I'm shepherding, right? Now, I need some disconnection, healthy way, but there, there's a way that I can disconnect and, and uh, that's not a healthy way. In fact, I, I've had people say, Erica, are you like upset with me about something? And now I learn. I, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm. But sometimes I just disconnect in an unhealthy way. Here's the deal. I realized that I can disconnect from the Lord, just out of selfishness. And it's just okay, God. I you know I've done enough praying for a while. I'm just going to kind of disconnect. I, I need that. No, I don't need that. That, that that's a a broken expression. So, just by way of preparation that the rough ways made smooth, is there something a personality that, yeah, God wants to work, he cares about all of those things, and he wants to work that that 's called spiritual formation, spiritual transformation that 's part of how he wants to work in your life, in my life. all right, uh, real quickly the the other side. I I think uh, John the Baptist weighs heavy on the deconstruction, and and that's a good way. There is an element of construction. So we lit a candle of preparation, and it also was a candle of love. And uh, the question is, what needs to be built up in your heart and soul? There are some things that need to be deconstructed. What needs to be reconstructed in your uh, heart and soul? What do you need to, to build? Um, uh, Easter often is talked about this beautiful expression of God's love for us that, that he died for us. We do need to talk about that crucial, absolutely crucial for the faith. What I think we miss sometimes is the emphasis of Christmas and love. Easter represents that Jesus died for us. Christmas represents in love that Christ was born for us. That he did not leave us as orphans by ourselves, separated from sin. He, in a loving act, a loving action, entered into our world's and our lives, and wants to continually do that, enter into our lives. Did you know, though, that we can respond not with love and reception, but rejection of Christ entering in? In fact, John three nineteen, Jesus said this, this is the verdict, Light has come into the world, people loved darkness instead of light. People love darkness. Do we have that on the screen? Uh, go to the next slide there. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So so we do have to recognize that, that Christmas is about a loving God who enters in, but we have a role to play. We have a response. We have to figure out how we will respond to the love of God this Christmas. What are we going to love? Some will love darkness. Some will choose darkness. I don't want to be one of those people. When uh, when Peter, when Jesus reinstates Peter to ministry, Peter—some of you will recall—he renounces Christ several times, three times to be exact—and then Jesus forgives him and he reinstates him to ministry. He asks him one question three times. One question three times. What's the one question? Do you love so, one question. Boy, that's a good question. What are we doing in this Advent season to not love the darkness? but to love God. Shouldn't this be a season of, uh, of more prayer rather than less because we're shopping? Shouldn't this be a, a season of more walks with him that we're saying, yeah, Lord, help me with this and I got to see my family and, you know, Uncle Joe, he's weird and I don't like him. Help me to love him better. Right? So construct is is one way. How are we going to love God? Here's another one. I wanted to read a little bit longer of this passage. This is from Matthew 5. I think part of the way we construct and prepare for the Lord is by certainly loving others because Jesus always says, do you love me? And he says, how are you doing with loving others? Because loving others is part of loving me well. Jesus says. He says this, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Wouldn't it be so much easier to love your neighbor and hate your enemy? Right? Yes? Jesus' way is an easy way. Now here's the one that really gets me. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Let's read this for Christmas. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? I think my Christmas has, has become a lot of loving those who love me well. I want to do better this advent season. I want to love the stranger. I want to love the the people that that aggravate me the most. That would be a good preparation, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? I was going to pick on someone, but I won't pick. There, Natalie Youngner. I want to love <laughs> Natalie really well. Right? What, what does it look like to love, right? Has, has your Christmas, has it become trying to love those who love you really well? Isn't that a lot of our Christmas? What about the others? I, I'll leave you with this story, and then we'll... We'll close. It's a story I, I found um, from a, a doctor, a physician in England. He was writing a number of years ago on a patient named Doris. She was 82 years old and she had been, she was in his ward and his floor, and he was caring for her. And, he was really uh, trying to release her. She was a healthy 82-year-old. They'd resolved what she had come to the ward, and every time they were about to release her, she would talk about a new ailment. Sometimes it was her hip. Sometimes it was her arm. And so, sure enough, it was two days before Christmas, and she came in complaining about something else. And, uh, and he says this, When the x-rays came back normal... I told Doris that we should stick to the plan of sending you home. He says, Doris looked down at the floor and quietly said, I don't want to go home. It's just that I'm all alone and there are so many hours in the day. Then after a long pause, she sighed and asked, Doctor, can you give me a cure for loneliness? The doctor wrote a reflection on this. He said, I wish I could say yes. I wish I could prescribe her some antidepressants and be satisfied that I had done my best. But the truth is that Doris is not clinically depressed. It's just that she's been left behind by a world that no longer revolves around her, not even in the littlest bit. He goes on with his reflection. There are thousands like her, men and women for whom time stands empty as they wait in homes full of silence. They are no longer coveted by a society addicted to youth. Doris is alone and it brings home the truth of this epidemic of loneliness. The most difficult part is that I don't know how to solve this, although I wish I could. For now, I simply retract my diagnosis. Sheepishly, I insist that Doris spends her Christmas this year on the ward. And I can see her mood lift. And I thought, who are the Dorises in my life? I think I'm, I'm, I'm missing the or the neighbors, or the extended family, or family? Who are the ones that are there and there's this longing and there's this undercurrent of being alone? And essentially the answer to what do we do about this, Jesus says, well, that's why I'm gonna create the church. I'm gonna call my people to be my hands and feet. And love not just those who love them. But love the stranger. Love the enemy. Love the co-worker. Love. That's a part of the construction of a prepared heart and soul. To really receive a Christ, a God who enters in, is to in part be a people who enters into others lives with the love of Jesus Christ can you pray with me I invite not just the worship team but the 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 prayer folks um, the prayer teams that once we're the service at the end of the service if you'd like to be prayed for in addition to how we pray now. It's a great way to just invite the power of God into your life. So Lord, we we desire the, the spirit of Elijah. We desire John the Baptist to have his way in us this Advent season. Lord whatever uh, the valleys in our lives and our souls are that need to be filled and only you can fill them whatever the whatever the hills of self-reliance whatever the the crooked ways in our hearts that need to be straightened whatever the the rough edges Lord whatever is in us that that could get in the way of of your work of your entering in of us fully receiving you this Christmas Lord we, we ask that you would take care of those things in our hearts and souls you take a moment just to invite whatever that area is invite the spirit of God into that place And Lord, would you fill us so that our overflow might be not busyness and distraction or detachment or loneliness, but that our overflow into others' lives would be your love, your kindness, and your goodness.